Hello, everyone, and a warm welcome to Ben Squared, a regular podcast series from Invesco offering you brief but thoughtful insights into the major market stories and events. I'm Ben Gutteridge, a tireless self-promoter from our multi-asset strategies team, and my co-host is Ben Jones, a really nice chap I met by the printer who also serves as director of macro research within Invesco's multi-asset strategies team. Now, our ambition in this series is to cover the major stories impacting markets, but to do so in less than 10 minutes. Uh, but before proceeding, please note this recording is intended for UK professional investors only, should not be considered as investment advice and that any capital invested is always capital at risk. Finally, do hang on after the conversation has concluded to hear some additional important disclaimers. Okay, well, we're up against it time-wise, Ben. So in no more than five words, can you tell us all how you're doing today? I'm very well. Brilliant. Under budget there. So we've clawed back some time. We can talk uh, through today's topics with a little more detail. Uh, the topics in uh, specifically are US jobs, uh, the US debt ceiling and oil markets. So, Ben, US jobs numbers last Friday, always a big event. I know you and your team gather around the Bloomberg screens for this one, shoulder to shoulder, popcorn and hot dogs. Such an exciting day for you all. But, you know, can you tell us what actually we got this time? I mean, I'm a little confused. Seemed like there was lots of new jobs created, but the unemployment went up as well. So can you sort of square that for me? Sure, Ben. And look, you captured the scene perfectly, um, hunkered <laughs> down around the, uh, the Bloomberg screen. Um, as you say, there was a little bit in there for everyone. Um, so, yes, a lot of jobs um, were created, um, but the unemployment rates ticked up. And you kind of look at those and go, well, how on earth do you square that circle? Um, and the two reasons really are, first of all, that there were a chunk of um, self-employed people um, that moved back into the, shall we say, traditional um, employment markets, and also the participation rate ticked higher. So people that would have been considered outside of the labour market previously have re-entered. And again, over recent years, we've been talking a lot about the participation rate, be it women entering the labour force, be it older people either retiring or coming back to the workforce or younger people perhaps staying in education a little bit longer. But the numbers that we got on Friday suggest that more people were entering the, uh, the labour market. So although you had more jobs created, you also had a bigger sort of potential labour force, if you will, and that's why the unemployment rate ticked up a little bit higher. And as you say, that gave some of the hawks and some of the doves something to, to point to. So something for everyone in this job. Report. Yeah, I mean, um, but on a, on a net basis, those sort of jobs, some of it feels like a bit of an accounting trick to me. And actually, lots of jobs were created. So I don't know, on balance, what, what do you think? Is that a, how, what's your read on it? Yeah, so that my read is that this was probably um, a strong number. Um, it's certainly one, I think, for the more hawkish of, of monetary policy um, nature at the moment. So no positive jobs number in the sense that more people are working. Uh, but, so just to be clear then, what, what is it the doves would be clinging to then? Um, I think the doves would be clinging to one that the unemployment rate went up, so that's a nice clear signal that they can they can point to. Um, they can show that perhaps that's the signs that um, there are cracks in the labour market, and I'll be the first to admit there are other areas where there are cracks in the labour market coming through. And this tends to be obviously the unemployment and labour is always a very lagging um, indicator. Um, some of the wage pressures also um, just a little bit softer as well. Still, for me, not conducive with uh, the two percent inflation target that the Fed has. Um, but certainly not quite as screamingly high as they, as they would be. So I think the doves would be pointing to the uh, sort of um, the lack of momentum or, or some of the easing momentum, perhaps is the better way of putting it in the jobs market. So what does this mean for 
for policy then, both in terms of like the next meeting, but also uh, the rest of the year? Yeah, good question. Obviously, that's the key thing that we need to answer now. And I think, look, first of all, we had um, pivot was the word, then it was pause, and now it seems to be um, skip. And I think sort of skip is probably the right word. I suspect the Fed will um, take a break in June, uh, the meeting that we've got um, next week and won't hike rates. Um, that said, as we're recording this this morning, um, it's after the RBA and our surprise um, rate hike as well. So never discount um, central banks um, surprising the market. But I think we'll probably get a, a skip in June, but I certainly think that July is very much in play and potentially even another one um, after that. Because let's be honest, the Fed has had lots of excuses to um, to stop hiking or pause hiking. Um, but we've got to remember that since the, the banking issues with SVB, for example, we've had two rate hikes from the uh, from the Fed, that tells me that they're still very very focused um, on inflation at the moment. So, a bit of a pause in June next week, but probably then uh, further hikes to come down the line this year still. Uh, so low to put your your reputation at risk here, Ben. But uh, I think like so, the market uh, is anticipating a skip. You're you're aligned there. Then uh, July in in June, and then July is is in play. But you think perhaps relative to the market there could be another one and that 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 wouldn't that would be an out of consensus call would it i'm not, I'm not sure how emphatic you are about it yeah, no, I think that definitely is. And look, a lot can change before um, sort of August, September time when uh, when that sort of comes into play. But I think the, the data that I'm looking at at the moment, and more importantly, I think the data that the Fed is focused on um, certainly does put more hikes and certainly no cuts in play. Now, look, the market can change, facts can change, and we'll have to change our views if that happens. Um, but as the data stand today and the way that the hard data is shaping up, which tends to be better than expected, look at the um, economic surprise indices, for example, that does not call for for um, rate cuts in 2023 and probably not even early 2024 at the moment. Uh, OK, well, I'm not sure how much the market would uh, enjoy uh, those sort of hawkish surprises, but let's let, let's see. We'll move on to the uh, onto the debt ceiling now. And I know you and, and actually probably really the majority of market commentators anticipated a deal to be done here. Um, and, in, and indeed, it does appear to be to be done. I don't know if you want to sort of qualify that for us. Ben? Um... No, no, I mean, I think you're right, Ben. Look, you and I have spoken about the debt ceiling and, and our colleagues here have spoken about the debt ceiling at length over recent months. And it's quite nice, hopefully, to see the back of it, really. Um, the, uh, Biden has signed it. It is a done and dusted deal. Um, I think for me... Well, the but what are the, yeah, so, I mean, well, that, that's... The, so thanks for clearing that up. What are, what are the consequences of this deal uh, for, I guess, sort of short-term, longer-term impacts for the economy and markets? So the very short term, and we've seen it already, uh, there's a relief rally because it is one risk that is the sort of risk of default has been taken off the table. Good news, absolutely. Um, I think the other piece of good news actually in the, the debt ceiling deal is that it was less fiscally restrictive than a lot of people um, feared. And I put myself in that camp. So there's less money for the IRS, less money for the taxman. Some people may see that as a, as a positive. Um, there's less money for, um, for the COVID aid, so it's clawbacks of that really. That's around about 30 billion. And there were some spending caps put in there. But if we look at what wasn't changed, Medicare wasn't touched, Social Security wasn't touched, and the Inflation Reduction Act also wasn't touched. So those are wins for Biden and means that spending is going to, um, going to continue in some sense. So actually the, the fiscal restrictions that many of us feared, as I say, me included, uh, perhaps weren't quite realised. Okay, well, that is, um, 
yeah, that is a, a net uh, net positive for the economy. We don't know what that means for inflation, uh, but uh, we, we shall see. I wonder, like, has this gone away now for the, the rest of the year or, or there are other dates that the quirks of US Congress mean this gets sort of re revisited or, or anything like that? Uh, so in terms of the debt ceiling itself, no, um, that's been pushed out now past the, the next election. So we can we can forget about that for a little while. Um, but again, as, as you and I have discussed a lot, really, for me, it was never the, the debt ceiling in and of itself that was the, the big problem. Um, I always thought I mean, it was, broadly speaking, the consensus that you would get a last minute um, deal. It's sort of the same movie that we've always seen uh, before. The problem is that what happens now is that the U.S. Tre Treasury has to issue an awful lot of T-bills to rebuild the Treasury General account, the TGA. That's sort of the, the current account that the U.S. funds its spending from. And what that means is that either money market funds or banks are going to have to buy those T-bills. That's money coming out of the private sector. That's a liquidity drag on the system. That's very different to what we've seen over the first six months of this year, where with the TGA being run down, you've had liquidity going into the system and there's been a support for risk assets. So for me, the fear now is that the um, liquidity that's coming out of the system is going to be a drag on risk assets. Um, there'll be fewer dollars in the system. That's going to be dollar um, positive um, over, the, uh, over the coming months. So just because we've got this sort of um, risk out of the way, does not mean that it's this sort of milk and cookies land for uh, for risk assets and equities um, from here on out. Sure. No, I, I, so I understand that. And clearly liquidity is going to be a driver of uh, markets or have an impact on mm. markets. I mean, I hate to be facetious here, Ben, but, uh, you know, I wonder sometimes whether, you know, cleverer people like yourself that, that, than I, you know, find these narratives uh, in order to give as much detail to the audience about what's going on in markets. And, and the reason I sort of bring it up is, is whether actually this story could become that the thing you raised there could become a bit of a sideshow. Like if inflation is falling quite meaningfully or if inflation is rising quite meaningfully, you know, that th those sorts of events would dominate rather than the, th the issue you raised there. Uh, is it sort of magnify uh, a, a, a specific trend or, or, or is it mar has a marginal impact? How, how, how would you counter that uh, deprecating uh, proposition I've made. No, no it's, a, it's a really good point and it's a good challenge, Ben. Um, look, I mean, I, th I think this is going to be a, a, a dominant and a big factor. The and, and partly your point about if inflation is coming down, perhaps while well, the market focuses on that being the um, the good news and that eases the um, the Fed's job and then that's the positive and, and markets run away with, with that narrative. That's certainly very, very plausible. The other sort of actually worry and or niggle in the back of my mind is that this liquidity story at the moment has really become quite a consensus story. Um, I think I've only read one sell side broker talking to me saying this is not an issue. Now, when the consensus is all in one direction, you've got to worry that something is uh, is wrong. So I think the other thing that is worrying me a little bit is that this is a pretty well-known story. Um, it is the consensus view at the moment that liquidity is going to be an issue. And maybe just because of that, um, it is not going to be an issue. So um, again, look, very, very willing to be proven wrong. I am fearful. I am a little bit worried. Um, but uh, the fact that positioning is pretty cautious at the moment, the fact that this is a, is a consensus story, um, I don't think your point is facetious, Ben. We, we certainly could be wrong on this. And again, that's where we need to change our views when the uh, when the facts change okay great thanks ben we're, we're up against it time wise so quick comments on uh news relating to opec and oil mm -hmm. markets 
Yeah, so very quickly on that, um, Saudi Arabia and OPEC Plus um, announced a 1 million barrel cut um, in production over the weekend. That starts in July. Um, that should be um, positive for oil markets. It's been a little bit of a damp squid in oil. It's actually been taken more positively in the natural gas market over the course of the last couple of days or so. Um, and I think this is probably a case of we need to see the sort of deliverance um, come through of those cuts and also what's happening on the demand side. Now, oil has been pretty weak over the course of this year. I think there's two reasons for that. Partly it's because people are worried about the demand side and they're worried about the uh, recession fears. But at the same time, actually, most people's demand forecasts, keep, like IEA, for example, keep getting revised higher right now. Um, but perhaps the bigger driver is the um, oil stocks being drawn down. So we can look at um, the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in the US. That's continuing to come lower. Actually, a lot of those barrels of oil are going from the US out to China, record exports for, for China at the moment. Um, so for me, the stocks coming lower, um, financial positioning, the futures market oil, very, very low as well. Saudi cutting production, and at the same time, really not much production increase uh, from the shale patch in the US. For me, all tilts me to being positive on oil and, and energy markets um, for the the near and, uh, and medium term. But that's not to say there's not going to be volatility there as and when we sort of get those demand fears. Now, if that comes through, and I'll finish on this point, is that if we get those higher oil prices, that's going to make that inflation point obviously a little bit more tricky because oil prices higher is going to feed into um, inflation really quite quickly, unfortunately. So, again, I think oil markets are going to be a really important um, uh, market to watch over the coming six months or so. I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot on this podcast. Yeah, I agree entirely, Ben. Uh, but uh, And thanks for racing through that. But uh, yes, we are under some time pressure. We'll be sure to revisit those topics in future podcasts. But thank you, Ben. And thank you to our listeners for your time. Please join us for our next Ben Squared podcast. But before you go, please do listen to the following investment risks and information. The value of investments and any income will fluctuate. This may partly be the result of exchange rate fluctuations and investors may not get back the full amount invested. This podcast is intended for UK professional clients only, is not for consumer use. Views and opinions are based on current market conditions and are subject to change. This is marketing material, marketing material and not financial advice. It is not intended as a recommendation to buy or sell any particular asset class, security or strategy. Regulatory requirements that require impartiality of investment or investment strategy recommendations are therefore not applicable, nor are any prohibitions to trade before publication issued by Invesco Asset Management Limited, authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.